Let's pray, friends. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for your words to us too. Help us to understand it for today, for ourselves. Amen. So friends, in a few weeks' time, we're going to start uh, looking at Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. And um, we thought it would be helpful to have a bit of a review of what Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 are about before we get to Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Now, originally that plan was that we'd do that throughout September. The trouble is we started with an all-age service and then there was a baptism last week so we looked at a gospel reading and then there's today and next week's another baptism and, and then there's um, harvest and then there's the church weekend away and, and then middle of October we're actually going to start looking at Ephesians 4, 5 and 6. So today is the day when we're going to look at, as it were, the highlights reel of Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 and 3. So hang on to your hats, have your Bibles open if you've got them with you uh, and um, this is partly because uh, we're looking at 4, 5, and 6 in detail because a couple of years ago we all read and um, had sermons around the title of Transformed Life. Um, this is the book that went with that series, uh, 50 Days of Readings. And if you've joined the church more recently and you would like um, to catch up in the next, well, quite quickly really, um, 30 days really, uh, then um, you'll be very welcome to, to take one of these and read them. There's about there's three, I think there was at the beginning of the service, of these spare. Uh, and then there's lots and lots of the Transformed Living book. This is Transformed Life, one to three, and Living is, one, is four to six. And actually that title gives away some of the, the thing, that actually Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is very much focused on the reality that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then 4, 5, and 6 is all about how do we live out our lives knowing that, our, that we positionally who we are in Christ. Um, but I think before we get into Ephesians, we need to give ourselves a bit of a background even to, to that. So um, here's some particular verses from the Gospels where Jesus is very clear that his mission is not to the Gentiles, but to the Jews. So Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Jews go to synagogues, not Gentiles generally, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. When Jesus sent out the twelve, he said to them, do not go among the Gentiles. When um, you have... uh, uh, Luke 7, the Jews are petitioning for Jesus to take an interest in a particular, in the centurion's servant. Um, they said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So there seem to be some exceptions, but generally, Jesus' focus was on the Jewish population. Uh, and you could go to many other verses that help you to think that Jesus' mission was to the Jews. Um, however, you have... Uh, hints for example at the end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus is telling them all to go off uh, and to um, the great commission that's what it is go and make disciples of all nations not just of the Jews but of all nations teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and baptising them in the name of the Holy Spirit uh, in the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and um, so the verses go on remember I'm with you always there's five verbs in that. I think we might have missed one. Anyway, but then in Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost happens, 
You remember that you know the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, on on the disciples, um, and it looked a little bit like tongues of fire, and they spilled out onto the balcony, and the crowd that gathered were crowds of Jews that came, that had come from every nation to Jerusalem for the festival, which was a festival around the remembering that the giving of the law. So that's the sort of a bit of a background to it. Uh, But then we have to recognise that time went on a bit and we get Peter's vision, which comes in Acts chapter 10, where Peter has this vision of foods that he thinks he's not allowed to eat. You remember that vision? It happens three times and Peter gets quite um, defensive, really, saying, I've never eaten this, these pigs and these cloven-hoofed things. And, and, and yet the response is, go with these men that are asking for you. They'll be coming in a minute. They're from a Gentile home. And when Peter is obedient and goes, then we get this famous bit in verse 45. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Just imagine the, the, um, oh, the, the, you know, the surprise, the shock. God loves non-Jews. Don't forget, most of us don't claim a Jewish heritage. So let's just kind of keep aware of that. Peter then has to go and explain, and you get the Council of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, where they basically say, it's great, but don't worry. But, you know, just do a few things like, like don't eat meat from strangled animals or something like that. Focusing a bit more on Ephesians then, Acts chapter 18 has it that Paul and then Priscilla and Aquila were in Ephesus, um, and as was Paul's normal way, he went to the Jews first. He went to the synagogue, he was there for three months, and then he got kicked out, and he went next door to the home of um, this, the uh, chap called Tychicus. Um, and he spent two years preaching to the Ephesian population in a setting where, he was, where Gentiles, non-Jews, were able to hear uh, the message of salvation too. In that time, loads of people burnt their sorcery books. There was jealousy from the silversmith who made the shrine images. They almost had a riot. And eventually, Paul left there after two years. So when you get to reading Ephesians, you might think that Paul knew a few of the people he was writing to, and like he does in some of the other letters, there might be some uh, greetings to particular people. There's only one greeting to one person. So there is, and and then you have to put that with the reality that um, the very first verses of Ephesians, um, you get a little footnote, verse uh, two, it says it's to God's holy people in Ephesus, and um, in all the Bibles we get a little footnote that says some early manuscripts do not have in Ephesus. So potentially this is a letter that's written to a much wider audience of which Ephesus is, as it were, an example that this is a place where both Jews and non-Jews have come to faith. So Paul's writing into this, um, this situation. He's trying to help people to understand uh, why is it 
and, and if you, as it were, bring a theory as to why is it that God loves not just his chosen people, but the peoples that, from, from historically at least, were not his chosen people. So how does this happen? And, and this is how we get some, uh, lots of the discussion of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. So Paul, um, yes, as I said, this is a bit of the highlights reel. Paul opens with a statement uh, in Ephesians 1, this is the, the, after the first greeting, um, which to my mind sets the summary that is then unpacked over the next couple of verses, uh, chapters. So Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So us, Jews and non-Jews, every spiritual blessing, meaning that we're and, and it transpires in meaning that we're all adopted into God's family. We're all welcome into his community. And it's because of Christ, Jesus, dying on the cross, because of the work of the Messiah, Jesus, who came and took on him the sins of the whole world, the consequences of the rebellion of the whole world, not just the Jewish nation. Paul goes on. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So Paul's trying to set this, as it were, this change of heart from God in a setting that says, actually, this isn't a late extra from God. This is God's decision since before he created the world. This, something, this isn't something to do with, with God going, oh, won't be fun with just the Jews. We better have somebody else as well as a sort of late decision. No, Paul's saying, actually, this is something to do with, with, with part of the original plan of God to bring all of humanity who choose to ask for forgiveness into his kingdom. And there's echoes of that in the Old Testament. I, I don't want to go off script too much, but you know, think for a moment of of Jonah. Jonah's sent where? To Tarsus, to, to, to Nineveh. To, where is he sent to? He's sent to Nineveh, isn't he? Um, uh, you know, and he's sent to tell this Gentile nation, behave, basically. And Jonah, being a good Jew, kind of goes, why would I do that? But actually, that's part of God's plan, is that, is that somehow the the, the fear of God, the, as in a fear, as in an awe, uh, a respect for God, is intended to permeate the whole world. Anyway, um, let's move on. Um, verse 13, 14, when you, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So Paul takes us from pre-creation to a permanent future. Let's just, just, just sit with that a minute. When you believed, when you came to faith, and this is the same for all of us today, not just for those that first read this, we were marked in Christ or in God with a seal. That is the promised Holy Spirit. So God chooses to put his spirit in each of us as a deposit guaranteeing and if a guarantee backed by God is worth anything, it's a guarantee. Guaranteeing our inheritance. 
which is that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. So Paul, in a few verses, takes us from before the creation of time, well, probably before the creation of time, if you think of God as being outside of time, to an eternal perspective that there is, once you believe, your inheritance is guaranteed. Now, just think about how that changes some of our striving for success. We don't need to somehow earn our forgiveness because we live in the light of that reality that we're guaranteed our inheritance. So we respond to that amazing love of God. Respond to that, to that as it were, that confident situation that we are going to be with God in heaven. And, and, you know, for a moment, think how different that is to an Islamic point of view that says, well, if we've good enough, we might get to heaven. If we've done enough to please. No, we know that when we believed, we have a guarantee of our future. And that's why Paul then turns to prayer, because he's just so excited about what's going on. This is the end of, act, uh, of Ephesians chapter 1. Um, uh, Paul says, I, I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Yeah, you see, we've all got the Holy Spirit in us, but do we, do, we, do we, as it were, tap into that reality? Do we have a spirit of revelation? Do we have a spirit of, re- of wisdom? So that we might know him better. Paul puts it a different way. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, that you would know the hope to which he's called you and his incomparably great power. Two things there. Know the hope, that is that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven, and that's guaranteed by the backing of the Holy Spirit for everybody who's come to faith. But also something about his incomparably great power. It's the same power at work in us as raised Christ from the dead. So we can, perhaps ought, to be creating and and having opportunities to see that power work through us and in us, in the lives of people around us. And it's possible, in Paul's eyes, if you like, because he prays that that's what might be possible, that we would, our eyes of our hearts, our understanding, our inner joy would be, would be burning bright. That we might know the hope and his incomparably great power. Can you see, can you, can you get an, a, a, an image here of how excited Paul is? That this is, this is possible. And he hasn't even dealt with the fact that the Gentiles are now becoming Christians as well. This is chapter one, finished. He hasn't got to his main theme yet, which is kind of how is it that, that, that somehow Gentiles are loved by God? We are all, largely by history, Gentiles. So chapter 2 then. Chapter 2, chapter 2 is over here. Chapter 2, Paul writes to his largely ex-Gentile audience, ex as in pre They used to be Gentiles before they became Christians. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
You had no hope. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Because it's by grace that we've been saved. Through faith. One of those famous verses that I think many people probably think they memorize this one. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. None of us deserve God's love, but we're all offered it. It's by that grace of God, by the sheer, unadulterated love and and desire to spend eternity with us, that God offers us. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are, that we're made in his image. That we're designed to live our lives to God's glory and honour. So Paul, as he moves through chapter 2, begins to focus in a bit, and, and, and this is how verse, the next few verses run. Remember, therefore, or therefore remember, that formerly you who are Gentiles, that is not Jews, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So because of the shed blood of Jesus on a cross, each of us is able to be reconciled to God. But it's more than that, if you see what I mean. If it's possible to be more than that, we're actually, that stuff about excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenant and the promise, Paul comes back to that, and we'll see in a few minutes, that he basically says, now you're in, you're part of the citizenship, you are not foreigners, you're in with the covenants of the promise because of what Jesus has done. There you go. His purpose was to create in himself, that is in Christ, one humanity out of the two, that is out of Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Now, one way I think about this is to think about cakes. A good Victoria sandwich has two layers, doesn't it? With jam in the middle. Red jam. Jesus jam. Blood of Jesus jam in the middle. Okay? And there used to be a base layer of Jews and a top layer of Gentiles. And then Jesus decided, as it were, to cut the cake the other way. So you cut a slice and you've suddenly got Jews and Gentiles together within the kingdom. Okay, maybe it doesn't work for any of you, but it works for me. (laughs) And it's all possible because of the blood of Jesus. Reconciling the two, bringing the two together, creating in himself one new humanity out of the two. Yeah, you think I'm mad, don't you? Anyway, let's move on. Um, For through him we both... We both, that is Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. The same Holy Spirit lives in everybody who turns to faith. Whether they be ex-Gentiles, ex-Jews, ex-Muslims, ex-Sikhs. Everybody who turns to Jesus, who recognises Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. We all have the same Holy Spirit 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit living in us. Now, Paul then, um, I won't, I'm not going to give you more verses of this, um, but in the second half of, of Ephesians 2, Paul talks a little bit about kind of what happens in the temple and how it is that you've got Jews allowed further into the temple and Gentiles um, a bit further out, and there's a, there's a wall, uh, a dividing line, if you like, where if, if Gentiles go further in, they will be immediately um, killed. And, so, and, and part of Paul's imagery here is that actually that wall's been broken down in Christ, that actually we can mix freely. So it takes us to today's reading, and Paul writes, or we heard, in reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And thankfully, at last, Paul tells us what the mystery is. It's that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, So we are members together of one body, sharers together in Christ Jesus. That's the mystery. Beyond the mystery that we are offered eternal salvation, that we're offered life without end with God in heaven, but that that through the gospel, through the good news that Jesus brought, Gentiles, non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel. We talked a bit the other week about being grafted in, that actually we are all of one rootstock now. So when we read back into the Old Testament and read some of the promises to Abraham, we can be echoes of those promises. We can be the fulfillment of those promises. Where, where um, Abraham is promised that you know that your descendants will be greater than the number, or as great as the number of um, grains of sand on the seashore. We're part of that that fulfillment of the promise. But we shouldn't be, and we wouldn't be if it wasn't for Jesus. So that mystery, hopefully you've all understood that mystery a bit better now, that mystery then, out of that mystery, out of that intention of what Jesus was doing, was that now, through the church, The church, which certainly in Paul's days was very much a mixture of Jews who recognised Jesus as the Messiah and Gentiles who recognised Jesus as the Messiah, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and this is not a car reference, but it's the manifold, the great wisdom of God, if you like, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So we're beginning to see, think outside of the box, not just physically, that you know, since before the beginning of creation through to the end of eternity, but spiritually, that actually there's something going on here that Christ was challenging the rulers and authorities. Well, yes, in the heavenly realm. So there's a question there about is that to do with you know, the angels in heaven, or is this to do the rulers and authorities in more in the spiritual realms, the, the, the Satan and all his demons? But you could take it both ways, actually, that the wisdom of God will be known throughout the universe, the spiritual universe. In him and through faith in him, we then can approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, that little throwaway line... 
is quite the opposite to how it used to work in the Old Testament, isn't it? You think about what happened when you sinned in the Old Testament. Big time. You'd have to go to the temple, take your gift. Priest would take it from you. Your gift, your, like your recompense, your, um, your, your, your dove or whatever. Um, the priest would take it from you. He'd offer it to God. And if he was clean and the gift was acceptable, then somehow it was accepted uh, as, as a, an atonement for your sins. But it was kind of predicated via a priest doing it. Whereas now we can approach God directly because we've been adopted into his family. You know that in, at least in healthy families, children are able to approach their fathers without fear, even at times when the father might be busy. And that's the kind of image that we're getting, that we can come into God's presence whenever, wherever we want, but with both freedom and with confidence. And so on account of that, Paul then prays yet again. We had a prayer at the end of chapter 1, but a prayer that we've heard today, yet again. And he prays, as it were, I think, aware again of that freedom and that confidence that we can have. So what does he pray? His prayer is that out of God's glorious riches... He would strengthen us with power through his spirit in your inner being. And he goes on, I pray that you may have power to grasp, actually actually grasp, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now we can sing about it, we can do the silly actions as well, but actually do we really, 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 really deep in our knowers know just how amazing God's love is for us? That as it says in the old song, you can't get over it, you can't get under it, you can't get around it. Because it's the love of Christ. God loves us. And there's nothing we can do that will make God love us any less. I suspect, like with my kids, there are times when they can do things that we can do things that God doesn't like very much, but he still loves us. So Paul's prayer is that we would we would be strengthened with power through his spirit, that we would have power to grasp the love of God, and that we would be, as a result, we would then know this love that surpasses knowledge, and that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Whatever that means. Filled to the fullness of of the measure, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You, in your life. Where you consider yourself. My guess is that some of us are quite um, perhaps antagonistic to our own selves. And Paul wants us to understand wants us not to understand but to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God that's Paul's prayer no wonder he kneels before the father and says 
So just to give you a, a, a preview of next few weeks, uh, well, beyond the um, church weekend away at home, after this, Paul then kind of goes, right, okay, so you got the theory, you understand that even though, um, even if you're, you're Gentile, you've been adopted into God's family, let's live it out. Hence, chapter 4, verse 1 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know the theory, so live it out. And so Paul goes on and talks, uh, and we'll look at these over the next few, uh, the, the months over October, November, perhaps a little into December. Um, there's talk of unity of the spirit, of putting off the old self, putting on the new self, um, speaking truthfully. There's questions about attitude and actions, and actually attitude and actions matter. There's, there's conversation about relationships, of married partners, of children, of workers. There's a calling to put on the armour of God, to pray in the Spirit. All that is an unpacking to my mind of that very first verse of chapter 4. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So this is where we swing to in mid-October, is to say we've heard the theory, now let's live it out. But no doubt we'll keep reminding ourselves of the theory as the weeks go by, because otherwise... Um, we can get into a sense of, of um, self-defeat almost and self um, we need to care for ourselves and remember that actually God loves us and there's nothing that we can do to earn his love so for today I'd like us to come back to that prayer as you see I've, I've rewritten it to be our prayer And it's a big prayer, isn't it? It's not a God bless mummy and daddy and may my hurting knee not hurt anymore. It's a kind of concept type prayer, isn't it? That God would strengthen us with power. Oh, hang on. May you strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner. Yes, I did get it right, okay. That God would strengthen us with power through his spirit in ourselves, inside us. That we would know God dwelling in us through faith. That we would be rooted and established in love. And goodness gracious me, how do we manage that? How do we love each other when we don't always agree with each other? How do we hold each other to love? But being rooted and established in love, may we have power together with all your holy people, with each other, that is, to grasp how wide and high and deep in love, wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, to know, really deep know, this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, and, and, and I want to give you opportunity to go, actually, Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3, for this reason, says Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then he goes on and says, I pray. Now I know that some of you are a bit beyond kneeling, but others of us are not. 
And I want to invite you this morning to kneel before the Father. You might need to find an aisle space. You might need to find a space where you're not kneeling directly on the floor because you might need a kind of a steppy type thing. There's a few steps around. Um, But kneel. And then we'll pray this together. And we'll wait on God. Now, I understand that some of us are beyond kneeling, so don't don't feel under any sense of guilt if you don't want to kneel. But if you're willing to kneel, if you're willing to move and kneel, because I recognize you probably can't manage it in the rows, well, let's do that now, and then we'll pray that together. You can move out from your rows if you're struggling. There's lots of space in the aisles. You can even come and use a front row or a step. pray this for us to start with and then we'll repeat it if you're able to see a screen Father as we come before you today we thank you again for some of those promises that you've given to us that you've put your spirit in us who believe as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance We thank you that you chose to enable us to find your salvation. So Father, out of your glorious riches, may you strengthen each of us with power through your spirit in our inner beings. May we thus know Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. We also pray that we being rooted and established in love might have power together with all your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. That we, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. together Father out of your glorious riches may you strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being 
May we thus know Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And we also pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all your holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. So now to him who is able to to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him, to God be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.